Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Shop with Dylan McGlynn. I'm your host, Dylan McGlynn. We're going to talk about the latest in sports, pop culture, and more with a new guest each week. So sit back and enjoy because it's time to talk some shop. My guest this week is Vinny Amico. Vinny has been the drummer of Mo since 1996. The band is one of the premier acts amongst the jam scene and released a new album titled This Is Not We Are earlier this year. Here he talks about the band's recent drive-in performances, their new album as well as another upcoming album, and how he joined the band. We also discuss how he spent his quarantine and being able to play with some of his musical heroes. Uh, so yeah, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. So, Not a problem. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to start with uh, kind of most recently. You guys just did the drive-in shows yep. over the weekend. Um, it seemed like you guys had a lot of energy on stage. The show sounded really good. Does that, Thanks. I mean, that really corresponds with obviously the long break you guys had from playing? Yes, sir. I mean, we kind of always have a lot of energy when we get on stage. But, yeah, I mean, there was definitely a um, – you know, like anytime we take any kind of long layoff or even, you know, a month off, the first few shows are full of energy because we haven't played for a while. We haven't been out in front of people. We feed off that energy. They feed off ours, you know. Um, this was exceptionally long and we hadn't even played, you know, together really. I mean, we rehearsed for the week, but so, you know, put that on you know, into play and the fact that, um, you know, we were actually getting to do our jobs for the first time in months and in front of people that, you know, love to come see us really kind of, you know, lit a fire, so to speak. Yeah. So, so other than, than seeing a bunch of cars out in the crowd, is the setup for you, is it necessarily different? Obviously, for the crew, setting up the, the stage, I imagine it's a bit different. But for you guys, for the band, was it any different than a normal show? Not really. And it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't even that different for the crew. I mean, the, we did two shows that had a PA and two that didn't. So the two that didn't are a little different because our engineer's mixing from a truck and there's no PA. But people loved that. Um, and, you know, as far as what you can see, the energy is a little different because usually, you know, for years our, our whole career and you know you've been to concerts it's like there's a lot of energy when you're jammed in together with a bunch of people you know and you're feeding off each other and you're bumping into each other and all that so this you know everybody's spaced out there's less people all that so the energy is definitely a little different that being said it was pretty cool and you know i don't know either if people should have thought of this years ago or if we should continue to do this because also, when you go to a concert, you spend the time before the concert out at your car, drinking beer, hanging out with your friends, doing whatever you do, right? And then when it comes to showtime, you're like, you know, of course, people are excited for the show, but a lot of people are like, you know, still partying at the car and they're like, shit, I got to go into the show and I'm not ready yet, you know? So now with the drive-in shows, you get the best of both, you know, you get to tailgate at the show because you're at your car 
you know, hanging out with your friends. <laughs> and it's like, it's the perfect combination almost, you know, if, yeah. if they can really start to figure out like how to make the numbers work well, it, uh, it's something that I think could go into the future and continue, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's almost like the, the lot never leaves. It just, it's part of the show. It, th that is exactly right. You've been to enough shows to know yeah. about the lot. And I mean, so now you're bringing the lot into the show or you're bringing the show out to the lot, I guess, you know? True. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, these shows, like the ones we did were very organized. They were well put together and well done. So, you know, you're not really dealing with a lot of bullshit. I mean, there's, you know, I didn't know what to expect in that. I mean, our first two that we set up to play got canceled because, New York state was going through what it was going through and the chain smokers did their show that, you know, that they didn't follow the rules. And then Cuomo got wind of that. And then, you know, kind of put the kibosh on doing that for a while. Um, and we had it set up where, you know, I mean, we hadn't done it yet, but where, you know, we had the security in place and, you know, I think we had everybody's attention and everybody's desire to continue to do this. So we were, we are ready to make the social distance thing work and, you know, run it well and all that. And then we never had the chance until, you know, last weekend. So, and we saw that it can work and it does work. So yeah, hopefully. definitely. I think, I think we're probably going to be dealing with this, you know, still for a while. So I have a feeling you'll start seeing uh, more and more of the, um, driving thing happen once the weather gets nice up in the northeast and you know even even so down south you know probably throughout the winter yeah yeah you mentioned that you guys uh rehearsed in the week leading up to the show i saw you guys actually rehearsed at the palace theater in albany how did you uh, manage correct. to plan yeah. that well um the palace is doing some fundraiser stuff and videotaping bands and um you know, then they put it up on their, they have a stream they do and they, uh, they, um, you know, like look for donations and stuff. So I had done one with one of my side groups a little earlier in the summer. And, you know, of course, I think their goal is probably to get a bigger named act in there and all that. And at least they got me to come in and do something. And then I was like, maybe I can actually get Mo to do something, you know? So I didn't, at first I was like, nobody wants to do this. Nobody wants to come in and do it, whatever. Um, and then I did it. And then I mentioned it at one of the band meetings and then, you know, and then it kind of folded into, well, nothing's going on at the palace. We could use it to rehearse for the week. We could videotape the rehearsal. Well, it wasn't the rehearsal. We actually did a show in there, not with any people, but we, you know, we ended up doing a, a run of music that was like a show that we did tape that, or, you know, do on video that we can release as a stream, give some of that to the palace to release on their stream and do some uh, fundraising. So it kind of worked out that we, we kind of did a little bit of everything. We rehearsed, we were able to tape a stream for later release. We taped another thing that's going to be all of new songs of the new album we're going to be releasing in a couple of weeks. So we have video for all those songs as well. So we, we were able to accomplish a lot of stuff and it kind of was worked out for everybody. So another new album already? Yeah, well, we, we had recorded a bunch of music um, uh, when we went in last year and 
you could only fit so much on one record and we wanted to release it by uh vinyl anyway because people aren't really buying cds anymore so we didn't we had too much music for one so we released the one early on as we did you know we did electronically through um you know doing a, uh, a song a week or whatever it was two songs a week and then um the second one we're releasing along with the first one both on vinyl and then the second one on digital as well so yeah i mean it was all kind of part of the same recording session but we got two albums out of it that's awesome uh yeah, yeah that was actually something i wanted to bring up you guys released the the album this is not we are it came out track by track digitally um yeah so was that was that cool for you guys to see like each the, the fan reaction to each song as it was released instead of the album as a whole necessarily yeah it was i mean it was and the thing is the whole point of it was um especially during coronavirus uh, corona times but in general people don't have an attention span anymore so like you release the whole album it, people talk about it for a couple of days and then it goes away this if we kept we kept people engaged for like a month you know so it was like we released a song or two and people you know you get some chatter and then next one comes out you get some chatter next one and then the whole thing comes out at the end kept people engaged in the album for like a month so it was able to keep some traction rather than you know coming out on a tuesday and being gone by a friday you know what i mean yeah so um so that it, it worked and it was interesting to hear you know people's takes on on the songs and so and i mean we had been playing a lot of that stuff um for the last year well pre-covid the last you know year or so on the road but to uh have those recordings of it you know definitely makes a difference we we spent some time you know just getting the songs a little more uh concise and you know great recordings and you know with the recordings you get to edit and make sure you get all the best of the best out of it and the studio that we used was awesome and the people that we used um to record it were awesome so everything came out really well so it was yeah, uh, it, i think it came out as a good product it's yeah it sounds great um and kind of talk going off what we talked about earlier uh obviously over the summer there wasn't really a much to do in terms of shows but you seemed like you kept pretty busy you did the live streams uh yeah. on your patio with the jazz quartet could you talk a little bit yeah. about how, how that came about yeah yeah by the end of may i think is when i did the first one um i was getting pretty antsy to play and you know things seemed to at least in new york to have been calming down a little bit so I just called my guys in the in the quartet that we do. Every, you know, we usually do that band a couple times a year, usually around the holidays. And I just said, "Hey, you guys want to, uh, you know, you want to do a jazz show?" And I'll I'll I hadn't done a Vinny's Kitchen in a while, so I said I could kind of fold the two together and put it out there and stream it to see if we get any traction, which we did, and we got some traction. So we did a few of them. Um, and we had a real good time just playing and being together and eating some food and all that. Um, so that was kind of how that was all born. Um, I kind of mellowed them out as the summer went on because it seemed like there became a lot of traffic on the internet with music. Like people, everybody was streaming shit all the time. And not only did I not want to get lost in the shuffle, I just didn't want to over, you know, 
expose our fans to just stuff because everybody was now doing stuff. You know what I mean? And it's like, there's only so much time in the day to watch music. There's only so much money to be begging for <laughs> all that stuff. So it's like, yeah, we did a few of them and now we'll take a break. And then, you know, maybe in the fall or winter time, we'll do a couple from inside the house and kind of do that. So. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, you also have been giving lessons on live lesson masters. I believe yep. the whole almost the whole band is in there as well. It seems like that website's really picking up lately. Uh, how's your experience been with it? Um, it's pretty good. I, I, I honestly got more lessons for cooking than drumming, but I think the drumming thing is like, you know, you have to really be committed to playing the drums or want you can't just be like, oh, I'm going to try a drum lesson. You know, you have to have a drum set. You have to like be committed to wanting to do it. So I don't get that. I have more private lessons than I get on live lesson masters um but you know it does expose me to that as well as the cooking uh the house party thing seems to be a big thing with a lot of people like alan and rob both have uh pretty good experience with that uh, i'm gonna put up a house party this week actually uh for a cooking thing where you get 10 or so different households everybody cooks the same meal and you kind of cook and eat together it would be like actually having a dinner party except for your dinner party is you know virtual as you know as it would be and i'm going to see if that picks up any traction and people could be listening to music and partying and doing all their things that they would be doing anyway so yeah that sounds really cool that sounds like a great idea yeah. and um, if i can get some drum lessons out of the deal i'll do that too. <laughs> you know? so i i like the teaching aspect of it it's just that i get a lot less track you know people that's the thing. There's, there's a million drum lessons out there and there's like a million drummers doing it and you have to be committed to drums, you know? So. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so speaking of drums, obviously that's what you do. You joined the band in 1996, I believe. Yep. Yep. So that's, that's a long time to be in one band. And obviously you guys have been able to maintain success and, you know, keep drawing a crowd in, in right. the jam kind of industry. I don't know if you, like that name or not i know some people don't like the yeah i mean it is what it is yeah but, uh, it's in this in this scene kind of it's it seems like it's hard for for new bands to come up and kind of make a name for themselves what, what do you think it is that you guys do that i guess keeps drawing people in over other bands um songs you know like and originality i mean you know there's a there's a lot of bands out there um and early on before before there was ever a jam band scene there was the grateful dead right and that was about it and there was bands that would play grateful dead covers and that and then a couple original bands came out and then fish came out and you know there's fish and blues traveler and widespread panic and spin doctors and ARU and not a lot of bands and then Mo came out and then you know the the what we call the the New York freak scene which had the PC pods and yoke and that and there was some bands happening out west that's when you started to get this diversity in sound but along with that came a lot of other bands that sounded like fish <laughs> you know <laughs> so well, there was for a while there was a lot of bands that sounded like fish and even now like it's hard to have originality where you don't sound like somebody else. So 
Mo doesn't sound like fish or the Grateful Dead or anybody. Mo sounds like Mo, and I think that's what continues to attract people to us. Um, you know, plus when we go out and play, we we're almost like a punk band when we're playing. Like we just we let the music play us. You know, like we're we don't we're 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 a little rawer than a lot of other bands. We're not so rehearsed that everything is like you know perfect every time and um and shreddy every time it's like we're just out there fucking slamming it and sometimes it sucks and sometimes it doesn't and i think <laughs> you know as much as that is the case i think that's what fans like about us is that like we're putting it all out there every night and you're not always going to get a good show because we're like freaking putting it all out there every night you know like we're not we're not holding back anything we're not trying to make it perfect we're actually jamming and trying stuff out on stage and communicating with each other and you know sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but i think you know that's kind of endearing to fans you know that's what they're kind of looking for yeah so. absolutely i feel like it's a lot more genuine and for me i think that's a lot of the appeal with a lot of with mo and a lot of other bands yeah it just right. seems, it just seems more real because it's, it's not rehearsed it's just like coming from right right uh, but so could you talk a little bit about how you ended up joining the band in the first place? Uh, sure. I, um, we all were up in Buffalo at school at UB. Um, and I was working, I mean, I was in school, but I was also playing in like the local, like we, there was a, a bar at UB called, uh, it was a live music bar called Broadway Joe's. And I was in, like the house band that played every Wednesday night. And I was also in Sonic Garden, which was a dead cover band that played like every other Friday or every Friday or every weekend. We were there all the time. So I was basically playing there twice a week. Um, so all the UB people knew who we were and knew who I was. And, and I started getting, uh, you know, making, I guess, a name for myself in Buffalo. So I was getting gigs with all sorts of different bands just because I was playing drums a lot. Um, and then Mo started this whole, actually there was a whole scene of um, original music coming out of UB. Mo was in it. There was a band called Scary Chicken, Monkey Wrench. Uh, there was a lot of bands. I can't even remember all the names of them. I wasn't in that scene. I was in another scene. That being said, the scene was cultivating. And then because of Mo and a couple other bands that were doing a lot of this, you know, gig swapping with bands like the Sea Pods and Yoke, all these, you know, regional touring bands were coming through um, Joe's as well. So there was a scene starting. Uh, and Mo was still a college band too. This was like a 1991. And then their first drummer graduated and went on to law school or something. Um, and I was hanging out with Jim Lachlan, who's our percussion player now. And I, I was living with our manager at the time, John Topper. They needed a drummer. I said, you should get Jim. So Topper asked Jim. Jim joined Mo. That's when they first started getting to be a real band and touring around and deciding that they were just going to play for a living. Jim eventually quit the band and joined Yoke, that other band. So they got another drummer who lasted 75 shows. Um, each time Mo would make a drummer change, Topper, their manager, and I were good friends. He'd asked me to do it, but I you know, graduated college, got a real job, lived in Buffalo with my wife, had a house, you know, it was like, I couldn't do it. 
Um, they got another drummer. He quit after 75 shows. He grabbed another drummer. Topper asked me to do it. I couldn't do it. Then they signed a music deal, uh, uh, a record deal with Sony 550 Music. So they actually had, then, then now it was a real band with some real money behind it. Um, they, they were not happy with their current drummer. Um, they recorded their first record with Sony. They were like, this isn't working out. Topper called me again. That was the manager. He asked me again to be the drummer. This time it was like a real offer where he offered me a salary and some health insurance. So that now it was a different kind of um, offer that I could actually accept. So I accepted it and that was in, in uh, 96. So I had been asked a few times, but um, that one stuck and the rest is history. <laughs> 20, <laughs> 25 years later, here we are. So yeah. I've made a career yeah. playing music, which was not something I, that was really ever, um, that was never really in the plans for me. I mean, I'm glad it happened. <laughs> I was, you know, I was always working toward that. I just didn't know it. Like when I was, even when I was in Buffalo, I had a real job, but I was playing all the time. So I was like never sleeping because I'd be gigging three or four nights a week and working 60 hours a week with my job. So it was like, it was pretty intense. Jeez. Uh, so when, kind of speaking of touring, when the whole pandemic started in the U.S., yeah. you guys were on tour out west. Yeah. And yeah. the last like five or so dates actually had to be canceled. Can you talk a little bit? Eight. About I think it was eight dates that got canceled. Eight, yeah. Eight. Can you talk a little bit about um, what that was like? Because it seemed like everything was super crazy in such a short amount of time. Yeah, it was. It was wild. So we started the tour in Seattle. Um, I don't know what the date was. Sometime toward the end of February. So I think the first case of Corona had come out three days or two days earlier, like a couple days earlier than we started in Seattle, right where we were at the University of Washington. <laughs> so we kind of heard about that. We started the tour in Washington. Nobody was wearing masks. Everybody was out, you know, it was pretty normal, even though there was a case of coronavirus there. Um, Moved on to Portland, Eugene, San Francisco, L.A., you know, all that. By the time we got to L.A., you know, um, I mean, it was starting to happen. You know, like California was getting overrun with COVID cases. Things were getting, you know, freaky. But we weren't, you know, we didn't, nobody really still didn't know what it was. So we're talking about maybe March 1st, 2nd, 3rd, something like that. Um. So we kind of kept going along, you know, and then we started making our way east toward the mountains, um, playing some ski towns and that. We had um, three shows slated for Park City, Utah, which were sold out. We had Snowdown slated, which was sold out. So we are coming into a run of sold out shows for our 30th anniversary tour it was like perfect and big for us it was great we were awesome you know everything was awesome and we got to i don't know telluride i think well we did a show where the hell did we played before it doesn't matter got to telluride played the show and the next day it's like we were like oh shit we went to park city but now things were like people were starting to close everything down governors were closing down states and we're like shit what are we gonna do like 
things are starting to get bad here. Are we going to make it through this tour? What's the deal, you know? And we got to um, Park City. We had a day off. We went skiing. And, you know, we're really starting to look at it. But, you know, and we're in contact with the venues. Like, is this happening? Is this happening? Is this happening? They're like, yeah, everything's happening. So the day of the first show of Park City, we went skiing again because why not? We're in, you know, Park City. It's one of the ski meccas of the world. Uh, so we were like, we'll do a half day of skiing. We'll go set up for the show. We'll do the show. We're there for three days, do some skiing, move on to the next thing. Uh, things are getting bad. We're on the phone, you know, every couple minutes. Well, we being one of our managers and we were, uh, we were on the ski mountain, but in contact, uh, you know, if the show's going to happen or not. And then things were starting to not look good. So we scheduled a band meeting for noon that day, skied up till noon, went in the chalet talking about it and we were like we're basically saying we should we're gonna play until everything gets shut down while we're on the phone uh in the meeting there uh one of our guys has alerts on his phone and it said utah governor shuts down all mass galleries so right there on the ski mountain we shut it down and shut down the rest of the tour flew home the next day and then you know everything happened like we shut down Next day, California shut down. Next day, you know, every like if we didn't do it then, we might not even have got home. Like we would have had to drive home and stuff because they were starting to shut down flights. Everything was getting crazy. So, and even then, we didn't know like what that meant. You know, we still had a summer tour planned, had a fall tour planned, you know, just our regular life. And then, you know, and then it's just like, oh, this isn't going to happen. Oh, now this isn't going to happen. Oh, now this isn't going to happen. You know, now we're looking at like next summer. Yeah. Maybe. You know, other than these driving shows, we had those four. We have one coming up next week. But it's like, there's not, you know, but see what happens like with Florida in the winter, you know, if they're doing drive-ins and stuff. But right now, COVID spiking. So I don't think anybody's going to want to really do anything until shit gets under control again you know yeah yeah it's so. yeah it's, it's really crazy how when everything came out i guess i don't know the kind of the hope was it would only be like a, a couple months i remember i think it was umphreys mcgee they kept a couple fall dates until like the late summer yeah we canceled them. yeah a lot of people did i mean we had them too we didn't cancel fall until you know august i think you know uh, actually i don't even know if we released our fall dates actually because i think you know we had a full summer plan that we didn't cancel until like a week before you know and we're all like trying to navigate this shit together you know like we know all the umphreys guys too and we're, i'm sure our managers or tour managers were talking and you know just trying to figure out what can we do what can't we do you know yeah it turns yeah. out we can't do much you know <laughs> so at least indoors so i i ended up playing um some gigs this summer vermont seem to have their socially distancing shit under control because they were doing shows outdoors small shows you know um so i did a bunch up there uh up until a few weeks ago even so then i had played my first indoor show up there um a couple weeks ago in inside but it was um 
you know, socially distanced. They had a, each table corralled off. You could, you know, it actually wasn't bad. So that's great. Yeah. I mean, that's encouraging. Bar. Yeah. So, yeah. but again, things are spiking. So you're going to see everything start to shut down again, I think over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So I actually just booked a, I have a band going down to St. John in the, in the Virgin Islands in December. Wow. You guys so hopefully that still happens. Um, there's a band. It's called Shred is Dead. Um, mostly dead tunes, but kind of in a fusion style. Like the, the one of the guitar players is freaking sick shredder guy. So we do dead tunes but he shreds all over him <laughs> it's kind of cool <laughs> so we're gonna do that kind of thing down there for a week it's basically like a work vacation i don't think we'll make any money but it's free vacation in one of the most beautiful places in the world so yeah yeah you can't beat that no i mean i hope everybody's okay with it you know i'll probably get some backlash how could you travel in this time? it's like going to an island where nobody is there's no coronavirus there yeah. So if everybody follows the CDC guidelines, I mean, they're set in place to, you know, so that people can actually do stuff without, you know, spreading the virus and stuff. So hopefully we can go down and have some fun and do some work, which is what we all do. And, you know, nobody gets sick. So speaking of Grateful Dead songs, you guys just introduced West LA Fadeaway uh, yep. over the summer at the, the Big Blue in Utica. Uh, what yeah. led to, to that song being introduced after, you know, 25 years? Um, it was Jerry's birthday, mm -hmm. and we wanted to play a song. And we're not a big dead band as a whole, Mo, because those guys don't really like them. I mean, Al and I are dead fans, but nobody else really is. Um, I mean, Chuck likes some of the stuff. Um, but we had to pick a tune, so we're just kind of going through songs. Not really going through, just naming songs. And... uh Rob started playing this bass line for that. Or I, I, I might even have mentioned, I think I was like, what about West LA Fadeaway? And then Rob's like, I love that song. And he starts playing this funky bass line. And Al starts playing, not the riff, but just, you know, how we kind of funkified it a little bit. And then he started singing it. And then it's like, well, that's the wrong key. So we went back and just kind of listened to it and put it in the right key and then just started playing it. And it just kind of just came out of us. So it's like, well, that's the song. We didn't even have to put anything into it. We didn't have to learn it because we kind of did our own arrangement of it. Well, not arrangement. We followed their arrangement, but we did our own sort of take on that song, which is like what Mo does anyway. We don't really try to cover songs that much like the band in a lot of ways. And in that song in particular, that just came out that way. And it's like, that's great because we're kind of playing it our own way and that works best for the way mo does it does stuff anyway yeah i mean yeah that's perfect because it's it's an homage to to jerry like you mentioned on his birthday yeah. but it's not just copying the band it's still you know doing no. thing with it yeah it was definitely rob putting his bass line over that song and then us playing the song and you know putting the vibe solo in and stuff we we actually played it the other night but we ran out of time so we had to kind of like compact it into like <laughs> three minutes or something so yeah i forgot about that they have like hard 9 p.m was it curfew or i think it was 10 at the uh at uh where we did it i think it was in connecticut so yeah. uh so kind of speaking of influences not that they're the dead were necessarily an influence but just like musical ideas and, and themes obviously everybody brings them to the band kind of from their own background but 
after yeah. so many years, obviously a lot of people change and get into new things. So are there any things that you bring to the band musically that like influence you that maybe didn't when you first joined? Um, that's a really good question. I tend to play a lot more like, um, in a lot of ways, like a jazz player, just cause I was brought up in a jazz household. And so I don't study jazz and I don't like, I don't, um, pretend to be a good jazz drummer, but I play with a sense of swing. Um, that's just inherent. Um, and that's always been so, and I don't know if it's changed over time. I, I think that over the pandemic I have, um, been practicing fundamentals a lot in the basement, something I've never done. I've always just played because playing drums by yourself is kind of boring. And I never really, like, I just always played in a band. I never went back and figured out fundamentals or any of that stuff. So over this period, I've been fixing some of my fundamental flaws. And um, so I'm bringing some of that to the table lately, um, just playing a little more controlled and uh you know i've loosened up a little bit and just letting it flow a little more um i don't listen to a ton of new music so i don't have any like new influences i'm still stuck in the old music <laughs> so um so i'm not bringing anything new in that way just in the style of my playing and being older and a little bit more um mature about my playing i think is what i bring to the table um as far as the band goes um you know the songwriting keeps getting better and better i think and you know so we bring new songs to the table and we pro produce them you know pre-produce them and produce them uh before they ever get released so they're pretty good coming right out of the gates now which you know we used to play songs for years and then change them when we get into a, to record a record now we kind of do a lot of that production stuff ahead of time in the rehearsal sessions so when we get them out on the road they don't need a lot of changing sometimes we still change them some but not as much as we used to so um i think that's and again maturity you know years and years of playing together um just brings a different thing to the table than when you're in a basement in a college you know in college and just freaking I got this riff movement and then you put a song together and then you take it out on the road for years. Now it's like we get together for a focused writing session. We get as much done as we can. Stuff goes out on the road. So there's a maturity to everything we do that we didn't used to have. So when you say you guys like can decide if you're going to make some changes to a song after it's already played, do you guys, mm -hmm. that kind of leads me into my next question. So um, do you guys, like listen back to the shows and analyze like what you did or do you just try to leave it on the stage? Um, we are not a band that listens to a lot of our stuff after we play it. I mean, certain guys, I think Jim listens to a lot of the stuff. I never listen to shows. I should probably, but I don't. Um, and I, we kind of listen to stuff. Like if we're putting out a live album and it has to be mixed, that's where we end up listening to things and picking songs. Um, but, uh, no, most of that stuff comes in the session itself if something's working or if we feel it's working or it doesn't. Um, and sometimes out live, we do figure out that stuff, some stuff isn't working and we'll change it. Or if like, 
an idea isn't like fully seen through, like we'll play a song a few times and then it just starts not getting put on the set list. So someone will be like, hmm, the song isn't getting put on the set list. Maybe something's not right about it and we need to change it or whatever. Or it gets shelved for a little while and we play it to put it on the set list. And, and then someone's like, oh, I don't like that. We got to either change it and then it sits for a while before or we change it right there, figure it out, and then it gets put on a set list. So the Wait, process is different and interesting every time, I think. <laughs> <laughs> sort of the same, but, uh, you know, it's like just depends on the song and who wrote it and what they like or dislike about it. So when it comes to set lists, do you guys write those out ahead of time? Or yeah, yeah, we uh, – we go in alphabetical order by last name. <laughs> so <laughs> I write one night, uh, then uh, Rob, then Chuck, then Al. Uh, Jim doesn't write them. He used to, but he doesn't like writing them. So he doesn't uh, do it so much. So um, you have been able to play with a ton of musicians throughout the years, obviously from the guys in your band to sitting in with other people, guest appearances, you know, yep. lives at festivals and whatnot. Do you have any favorite memories or favorite people that you've played with that stand out to you? Uh, I do. I have lots of them, actually. Um, you know, the thing is, early on, way early on in my career, um, you know, I was, I came from playing in a dead tribute band in bars to playing on Further Festival with the guys in the Grateful Dead for six weeks in the summer. So, like, day one of that tour, there was... Um, uh, you know, an all-star jam at the end of the night. And I was the only drummer, I think, on the whole tour that knew all the songs. So, like, I would get in the all-star jam every night and play with who were at the time my idols every night, you know. So that's memorable. And I can't remember a specific thing, but it went from, you know, being in a Grateful Dead tribute band in a bar to playing with Bob Weir every single night. So that was, like, memorable in itself. Um, you know, and then that furthered along that we, you know, got to play with Phil a bunch and still, you know, do some of that stuff. Cause I was big into the dead. So that was awesome. Um, and then we did that, uh, the tsunami benefit, uh, with Trey and, uh, Sam Bush and John Medeski and a bunch of other players. And that was, that was a really great time. Um, and you know musically was a highlight um you know we had we've played with i remember uh peter frampton sitting in with us and that was amazing i mean he was freaking great player um so i'll always remember that um you know we did two weeks of touring with robert plant and although we didn't he didn't sit in with us we didn't sit in with him just being on that tour with him was amazing. He was a great storyteller. He was a great guy. He hung out with us every night. And we walked into one uh, sound check and he was sitting on my drums playing drums, uh, just hanging out, jamming on the drum set. And that was a freaking highlight as well. It's like, oh my God, there's Robert Plant playing drums on my drums, you know? It's really cool. So. Uh, that's that's crazy. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> <just> crazy. <laughs> it's really crazy. So. Uh, so I did actually want to talk about playing with Phil a little bit because he, he doesn't play bass like anybody else. So no, he does. Yeah. How much different is it to play drums for him as a, compared to just kind of a traditional, more traditional bass player? 
Well, for me, it wasn't that difficult because I kind of grew up with him and his music and his style. I knew. Um, so it wasn't crazy, but to learn that, like to, to, to know the dead and to know the way he plays, it's just so different because he's kind of playing around the guitar player and not just setting up a groove on the bass. But, you know, over the years and going back and listening to that and playing with him, he does groove. Like, he does do a thing. And there's a, what I kind of figured out in playing with him and then going back and listening to some of the stuff. There's a swing to what he does, too, where he does a lot of walking bass lines where he's playing in uh, eighth notes or quarter notes where it'll be like, you know, boom, 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 boom. You know, he'll, that bass line will chug through even though he's, like, working around the guitar player. So he's not just going boom, 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 do, 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 you know, but he's going do, 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 you know, and like following where Jerry would be or whoever's playing guitar. And like, so, you know, going low and high on what he's doing in some sort of grooved fashion. And it does hold down the low end and it does move the song along, you know? So does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, but he doesn't play like, you know, every bass players hold down, the group <laughs> you know, that's what they do and they leave space for everybody else and phil doesn't necessarily do that but he does move the song along and melodically at that you know yeah yeah i think i mean he's obviously when people talk about the dead jerry's the first person that comes to mind but for me i think phil is was as integral to their sound because yeah he's absolutely basically a second lead yeah right agreed agreed and the thing is that's the thing about the debt like you know you can say that stylistically oh my god jerry or this or that but like each guy brought a style into the band you know i mean yeah. phil you know his bass sounds a certain way it moves the music along a certain way you know bobby has his spot in the music you know that's why his tone is the way it is that's why his style of playing rhythm guitar is the way it is, because it fit in with that band. You know, you separate all that, and they all sound a little bit different. Um, you know, but, um, uh, you know, put them all together, and you have the Grateful Dead. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I just have one last question. Somebody on Reddit wanted me to ask, it seems like you chew gum a lot when you're playing drums. Do you like a specific kind of gum? I do. Uh, I'll show it to you. I got to find it. Oh, here it is. Oh, awesome. I love icebreakers. <laughs> Ice cubes. They are the, this is the best bubble gum and the best tasting gum long, longest lasting. It's awesome. Um, and I do chew gum all the time because my concentration face and my, all the tension that I hold while I'm playing is in my mouth and it hurts after a while. <laughs> If I chew gum, that doesn't happen. And so I used to do it. I've done it since I was a kid. I used to play baseball, and I would always chew gum when I was – because it was the same thing, tongues out, you know, holding a lot of tension in my face. And the gum, you know, and the blowing the bubbles is, like, still using your tongue, and it gets your breathing all in line because you just can now – so it's, like, almost like a zen sort of thing where you – it's almost like uh, – almost like – uh, tai Chi or yoga where you're getting your breath and your, you know, bubbles are just the, what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it, but it works. It helps me to stay relaxed. 
So yeah. it probably looks like I'm bored up there when I'm just sitting there <laughs> blowing bubbles. I am not, but that just kind of what happens when I'm chewing gum and playing. So awesome. Well, glad we could set the record straight on the gum. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thanks. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, it was awesome. No problem. Uh, no problem. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Cool. Awesome. Big thank you to Vinny Amico for joining me on the show this week. You can stream Mo's new album, This Is Not We Are, on all streaming platforms. You can also pre-order a physical copy of the album, as well as a physical copy of their second album this year, Not Normal, on their website, mo.org. My guest next week will be Ryan Stasek. He's a bass player, one of the founding members of Umphreys McGee. We had a really nice conversation. Tune in next week to hear that, and thank you for listening. Thank you.